0: This is a podcast from the University of Manchester's Jodrell Bank Centre for Astrophysics. For the full show and archives, visit jodcast.net.
1: The night sky for April 2018. Well, as twilight ends, the two bright stars Castor and Pollux of Gemini, the heavenly twins, will be setting over to the west. It's not a particularly bright area to the south. But centre stage is Leo the Lion, squatting on his haunches, as the lions in Trafalgar Square. But between Germany and Leo, if you look with binoculars, fairly faint part of the sky is the constellation of Cancer, and in there there's a very nice, wide open cluster, the Beehive Cluster. That's quite nice to look at. Moving further over towards the southeast. There's a bright, slightly orange star, Arcturus, at the base of the constellation of Butis. And high above is the Plough, part of the constellation of Ursa Major. Its two brightest stars, Merak and Dupay, act as pointers towards Polaris, the pole star, quite close to the north celestial pole. Lots of nice objects, actually, to look at that. Quite a few in the Messier catalogue. And then finally, as the evening draws on, you begin to see in the northeast the bright star Vega in Lyra beginning to rise above the horizon. And that starts really the visibility of the summer constellations. It's a lovely area with Lyra, Cygnus and Aquarius. So that's to come. So still quite a nice little lot to have a look at. Oh, and I should just mention over to the left of Arcturus, little circle of stars, which is Corona Borealis, the Northern Crown. Well, what about the planets? Well, Jupiter rises in the East Southeast about three hours after sunset at the beginning of the month and about two hours by month's end. Initially, it has a 42.6 arc second disc, shining at magnitude, minus 2.4 but as you might expect as the month progresses its apparent diameter increases to 44.6 arcseconds and it brightens to magnitude minus 2.5. It will transit around 330 BST in early April and about 130 BST by its end so that's now beginning to be possible to stay up for to observe it as it's due south and then highest in the sky. And you will, of course, see the equatorial bands with the small telescopes, sometimes the great, but I should say reducing in size, red spot, and up to four of its Galilean moons as they weave their way around it. It's actually going to reach opposition when it's due south around midnight on May the 8th, 9th. Sadly, lying in Libra during the month, Jupiter is heading towards the southern part of the ecliptic, And we'll only have an elevation of 20 degrees from the middle of the UK when crossing the meridian. So atmospheric dispersion will hinder our view. And it might be worth considering purchasing an atmospheric dispersion corrector. Several are made, one by the firm ZWO, costing a little bit over £100. And that can be used to counteract the effects of the atmospheric dispersion. And to be honest... All the planets seen this month are low above the horizon. It'll be useful for both Saturn and Mars as well. Well, Saturn is now well into its new apparition. It rises about two fifteen a m at the start of the month, just about one a m at its end with an angular size of sixteen point seven arc seconds increasing to seventeen point five during the month. It climbs higher before dawn and so it becomes easier to spot as the month progresses its brightness increases from plus 0.5 to plus 0.4 magnitudes during the month now the rings were at their widest a few months ago but still at about 26 degrees to the line of sight are well open and span about two and a half times the size of Saturn's globe it's a lovely sight again Saturn lying in Sagittarius is close to the topmost star of the teapot And even while at opposition later in the year, it will only reach an elevation of about 15 degrees above the horizon as it crosses the meridian. So again, atmospheric dispersion will hinder our view. Now, Mercury, it passes in front of the sun, and that's called inferior conjunction, on April the 1st. And rising out of the sun's glare reaches what is called greatest western elongation, which is 27 degrees away from the sun, at the very end of the month. But due to the fact that the ecliptic makes a very shallow angle to the horizon at this time of year, it never gets more than about 10 degrees above the horizon, even when it's furthest in angle from the sun. So frankly, it's not one of its better apparitions. Now Mars starts the month in Sagittarius close to the topmost star in the teapot, and hence close to Saturn. Now a morning object, it rises about 2 a.m. BST at the start of the month. Its magnitude increases from plus 0.3 to minus 0.3, so it's getting brighter. Its angular size increases from 8.4 to 11 arc seconds. So by the end of the month, it should be possible to spot some of the more prominent features on its salmon pink surface. But sadly again, it will only reach an elevation of 12 degrees before dawn at the start of the month and about 11 by month's end. Sadly, again, the atmosphere will hinder our view. So it's about time to go to the Southern Hemisphere. Easiest place to go to is is South Africa. You don't really suffer from jet lag. I've been up at Sutherland in the Karoo, the Northern Cape, where they have their giant SALT telescope. And I have to say, the stars I saw in the sky there were the best I've seen in the whole of my life. I shall never forget the night I had. I never went to sleep. I couldn't stop looking at the heavens. It was wonderful. Venus can be seen low in the west after sunset, shining at magnitude minus 3.9 all month. Has an angular size of 10.6 ten point six arc seconds increasing to eleven point five arc seconds. And you might think that would make it brighter. But in fact as it does so the area, the percentage of the surface that's illuminated by the sun decreases and the two effects virtually exactly compensate, so the magnitude stays constant. It rises a little higher in the sky as April progresses, initially setting about one and a half hours after the sun, but increasing to about two hours by the end of the month. Its elevation increases at sunset from 18 to 25 degrees, so by month's end it will become quite prominent in the evening sky. Venus starts the month in Aries, but moving higher in declination, that's towards the pole, it passes into Taurus on the 20th, before passing between the Hyades and Pleiades clusters on the 27th. Well, finally, what about the highlights this month? Well, to be honest, not all that many. On April the 2nd before dawn, you can see Saturn and Mars together in Sagittarius. You need a clear sky, obviously, and a low western horizon. But if so, you should be able to spot them both low down above the horizon. They're at their closest on the 2nd when they're just 1.3 degrees apart. Now, you might well need binoculars to penetrate the sky's pre-dawn brightness but please do not use them after the sun has risen. On April the 7th, again before dawn, you've got to get up early this month, Saturn and Mars will be seen with a third quarter moon, making a rather nice line in the sky. You see a waning third quarter moon lying to the upper left to first Mars and then Saturn. Now in the evening, on April the 18th, after sunset, you have a chance to see, and I say a chance, to see Venus and a very thin crescent moon. So looking west after sunset, and given a very low western horizon, you may spot Venus below a crescent moon just two days after new. Again, binoculars will almost certainly be needed, but don't use them until after the sun has set. That's a pretty tough observing challenge, I might say. The latter half of April, as I mentioned earlier, Jupiter is becoming more prominent in the south, while it's still possible to stay up late. Again, sadly, it won't lie too much above the horizon. And I usually try and say something about an object on the moon's surface to look at, and I must say that this last Sunday, it was about the 25th of um, March, the moon was very high in the sky just after first quarter. The seeing was perfect. And I managed to get an image of the moon that I don't think I shall ever surpass. And I'll probably try and get that on the website. But I got a resolution of under an arc second. And it does show some very nice details. But that's another story. So on April the 6th and the 23rd, the Terminator is close to what is called the Alpine Valley. It's a rift across the Apennine Mountains that mark the edge of Mare Imbrium. So towards its upper edge... You should see a cleft called the Alpine Valley. It's about seven miles wide and 79 miles long. As shown in the image, a thin rill runs along its length, which is quite a challenge to observe. I must say I've never seen it, but I did image it recently. The dark crater Plato will be visible nearby. And you may also see the shadow cast by the mountain Mons Piton, lying not far away in Mare Imbrium. It's actually a very interesting part of the lunar surface. So let's hope we get some clearer nights, warmer nights as well, and enjoy your viewing of the night sky. Thanks for that, Fiona. And for our Antipodean listeners, here's Fiona Healy and Fiona Healy with the night sky where you are.
2: Hi, this is Jasmine and Gabriella coming to you from Wellington, New Zealand, Aotearoa here to talk to you about the southern night skies in the month of April.
0: Kia ora everyone, Gabriela Perez here from Space Place at the Carter Observatory in Wellington, New Zealand. Seeing as April is astronomy month, it's a great time to cast your gaze upwards to the heavens and challenge yourself to find some of the more trickier objects. Mid-April, probably best for viewing deep space objects, as the month starts off with a very bright moon, and we have a full moon on April 31st. So if we look to the north in the evening skies in April before the precession of planets fills up the sky, there are a lot of bright stars and deep space objects to look at. First up in the north, we'll see Sirius, the dog star, appearing in the northwest sky at dusk. And as the night goes on, the other bright stars will begin to reveal themselves as well. Sirius is a part of Canis Major, the big dog, the constellation that's also a part of our hunting summer tableau, which includes Orion, spotted easily by his belt, Tautoru, here in New Zealand, and his two hunting companions, Canis Major and Canis Minor, both hot on his heels, appearing lower and lower as the month goes on, making way for our winter constellations that will be rising in the east. Below um, the two stars forming the single-lined body of Canis Minor, we find Gemini. The constellation is named after the twins Castor and Pollux in Greek mythology. Uh, the brightest stars are also named Castor and Pollux, and these are the heads of the twins, with the other faintest stars make the outline of the two bodies. Um, these stars are quite different. Pollux is an orange giant star about 35 light years away and is the brighter of the two twins. And uh, Castor is actually a six-toblet star system about 50 light years away. Um, Gemini is also home to the Eskino Nebula, also known as the Clown Face Nebula, which is a bipolar double-shell planetary nebula surrounded by a layer of gas that's used to form the outer layers of the star, which is very similar to our own sun. And just beside Gemini, we find Cancer the Crab. Cancer is located between Leo the Lion, Leo looking a little bit more like a coat hanger in a stick figure form, and um, Gemini. Uh, Cancer is a little bit trickier to find because Cancer is the dimmest of the Zodiac constellations. The stars form the shape of a Y, with the top end of the Y being its pincers of the crab. It's quite tricky to see with the naked eye, and uh, its brightest star is only about magnitude 3.5. Uh, Cancer is home to some famous deep spy- sky objects, including M66 and the Beehive Cluster. So M66 is a must-see in April. You can find it at the midpoint between Regulus and Leo and Procylon, which is the uh, brightest star in Canis Minor. Uh, between them is uh, this messier object. It is the oldest close star cluster. It is quite old, between 3.5 to 5 billion years, which is quite incredible as stars and open star clusters generally tend to pull away from each other. And, uh for example, our own Sun could have been part of an open star cluster, but it's long since pulled away from its sister's stars. Uh, so for this one to still be relatively close to one another um, at a billion years old is quite incredible. Now, just below it, we can see uh, the Beehive Cluster. Uh, this is another great cluster to look at in the constellation of Cancer. And to give you some comparison... In age, this cluster is only about 600 million years old. Uh, It is a spectacular sight through a telescope, uh, especially if you're wide field of view. Uh, It is probably one of the biggest and brightest um, of these types of objects that we can see in our night sky. Now, although its real size is uh, about 11 light years across... It's not that dissimilar to um, Messier 66, which comes in at about 10 light years. It's just because it's a lot closer to us that it takes up a bigger portion of the night sky, which showcases a little bit the depth of the universe, because everything can seem quite flat when we're looking at our celestial sphere. Now, April is also a great time to go galaxy hunting, as uh, Virgo, the Greek goddess of justice, is in prime position in our eastern sky, She'll be rising higher and higher every day. Um, this is the biggest, the second biggest constellation, um, occupying quite a big area of the night sky, the biggest constellation being Hydra. And Virgo is located between Leo the Lion and Libra the Scales. Uh, Virgo is easily spotted thanks to its very bright star Spica. Uh, Spica is a blue giant and it's approximately 260 light years from our own solar system. It's actually one of the nearest massive double stars to our solar system. So Virgo, as I said before, is a constellation to keep your eye on for galaxy hunting, as it is especially rich in galaxies due to the presence of many galaxy clusters, including the Virgo supercluster. This cluster's center is located about 53.8 million light-years away from the solar system. And the center is the Virgo supercluster, which is the largest cluster of galaxies uh, which may contain some familiar faces. It's, of course, the local group, which includes the large Andromeda galaxy and our very own Milky Way. The Virgo Cluster itself contains about 1,300 galaxies, some arguing that that number could be up to about 2,000 galaxies. Uh, within it, we can see a few highlights. Most notably is probably the brightest galaxy in the Virgo Supercluster, which is Messier 49, And it was the first galaxy to be discovered by Charles Messier um, in this cluster. It is an elliptical galaxy with a visual magnitude of about 9.4, and it's about uh, 60 million light-years away from us. Uh, It is actually currently gravitationally interacting with a small dwarf irregular galaxy as well. It contains some uh, a lot of objects. It contains about... 5,900 globular clusters um, and is about 10 billion years old and uh, definitely a must-see if you get the opportunity. Um, There's about 11 Messier objects you can spot in the Virgo supercluster, uh, sorry, in the constellation of Virgo. Um, Messier 58 is another highlight. It's a barred spiral galaxy in Virgo. It's also one of the brightest galaxies from the Virgo supercluster, and it's got a visual uh, magnitude of about 10.5, and it's about 62 million light-years away. Um, other highlights include the <laughs> famous Sombrero galaxy, uh, or Messier 104. Uh, it is a very bright nearby spiral galaxy, it has this very prominent uh, dust lane and halo of stars and uh, and the globular clusters give this galaxy its name because it looks a bit like a sombrero. Uh, and uh it has quite a lot of energy and a lot of um, things happening within the sombrero center as a lot of X-ray light has been detected from it. And uh, this X-ray emission coupled with the unusually high Uh, central stellar velocities cause many astronomers to think that uh, there is a black hole at the Sombrero Centre, a black hole about a billion times the mass of our Sun, which is uh, quite mind-boggling.
2: Hi, this is Jasmine, coming to you from Victoria University of Wellington. And if you're hunting for planets this month, you're in luck. We can find Jupiter, Saturn and Mars in the eastern horizon from about 10.30pm onwards throughout April. Jupiter appears as a steady shining golden light in the Libra constellation after full dark. Libra is one of the signs of the zodiac. We can use the zodiac constellations to find the line of the ecliptic, the path across our skies along which all the planets in our solar system appear to travel. Now remember, planets shine and stars twinkle. Stars twinkle because they are so far away from us that they appear as pinpoints of light in the night sky. Because all the light is coming from a single point, its path is susceptible to atmospheric interference before it reaches our eyes here on Earth. Starlight is easily diffracted, its path altered as it passes through different pockets of air at different temperatures in our atmosphere. This bouncing around of starlight causes the apparent dimming and brightening that makes stars twinkle. The technical term is astronomical scintillation. Planets don't suffer from astronomical scintillation because they are so close to us. Their apparent size is larger than the pockets of hot or cold air in our atmosphere, so the path of their light is not changed very much before it reaches our eyes. But let's get back to Jupiter, the largest planet in our solar system. He's named after the chief Roman god for his size and dominance of our skies. Using binoculars, you can observe the disk of Jupiter, surrounded by four points of light, the Galilean moons, Io, Ganymede, Europa, and Callisto. The moons are named after the astronomer Galileo, who discovered them through his homemade telescope in 1610. Although Jupiter appears in the Libra constellation, it's easier to locate him using the Scorpius constellation as a guidepost. By looking for the classic hook shape that forms the tail of Scorpius, we can star jump to the left and northwards to find Jupiter. Scorpius was said to be a vicious scorpion sent by an angry Greek god to kill the hunter Orion, who boasted that he could kill any animal on Earth. So that's why, as Orion sets in the west, Scorpius rises in the east to chase him across the skies. You can check your looking at Scorpius by looking for Antares, the heart of the Scorpion, a bright red star located about halfway along the tail of Scorpius. Nearby, Sagittarius points his bow and arrow at his nasty neighbor Scorpius. Sagittarius is another zodiac constellation. Like Scorpius, he rises in the east from 10.30pm onwards in April. Sagittarius is a centaur from Greek mythology, half man, half horse. We can identify Sagittarius by looking for the teapot shape in his constellation. The spout is formed by the outstretched arm of Sagittarius, while his bent elbow forms the handle. Mars and Saturn rise along with Sagittarius throughout April. Sagittarius is a really special constellation, because he is home to the most messier objects out of any constellation in our skies. Messier objects are deep sky objects like nebula and star clusters. We can look for the Lagoon and Shrefford Nebula just north of the spout of the teapot. The Lagoon Nebula, M8, is 4,100 light years away, and is an emission nebula. It's one of only two nebulae that are actively forming stars that we can see with the naked eye. The Triffid Nebula, M20, is an easy target for small telescopes. It's about 5,200 light-years away. It is an unusual composite, containing a reflection nebula, an emission nebula, and an open star cluster. But let's take one more look at Scorpius. Here in Aotearoa, we don't have scorpions, so we see this constellation as something quite different. We see it as Temato, a Maui, the fish hook of Maui, said to be the jawbone of Maui's great-great-grandmother that became the fish hook that Maui used to catch the giant fish that became the North Island of New Zealand, Teika, a Maui. The story goes that Maui used his own blood as bait, so Antares, the heart of the scorpion, now becomes Rihua, the fiery one, that bright red blood bait. The tale goes that as Maui dragged the giant fish to the surface of the Pacific Ocean, with all his strength that the fish gave an almighty heave, and the fish hook was ripped from the fish's mouth and flung into the skies. For it remains today to remind us of Maui's cunning and bravery. Let us turn southwards to look for another constellation that's very important to us here in Aotearoa, so important it even appears on our national flag, the Southern Cross. We are looking for a kite-shaped constellation made up of four bright stars lying on its side. The smaller fifth star is Epsilon Crucis. Although the Southern Cross is the smallest of the 88 official constellations, it is so important because it has guided navigators and explorers across the vast Pacific Ocean for hundreds of years, from Captain Cook and Abel Tasman all the way back to Coupe, who guided the first Waka here more than 700 years ago we can easily identify the one true Southern Cross using the pointers, Alpha Centauri and Beta Centauri that form part of the hooves of the Centaurus constellation. No other cross-shaped set of stars in the skies has these two bright stars nearby to point you in the right direction, to the one true Southern Cross. Next to the Southern Cross, near the arm closer to the horizon, you can find the Jewel Box. It's just one degree southeast of Beta Crucis, the second brightest star of the Southern Cross. It's around 6,400 light years away. It's one of the youngest known open star clusters at only 14 million years old. With a telescope of around 25 to 50 times magnification, we can distinguish the beautiful colours. The most luminous stars in the jewel box are supergiants, and are easily some of the brightest stars we can see in the Milky Way. Star clusters like the Jewel Box can show us how the universe has evolved. Globular star clusters are like astronomical fossils. They are often fragments of smaller galaxies that were devoured by the formation of larger galaxies. Whereas open star clusters reveal the epic life cycle of stars from birth to death and the phenomenal recycling of star material by our very own universe. Another open star cluster nearby the Southern Cross is the Wishing Well, aka the Firefly Party Cluster or the Pincushion Cluster. It is part of the Carina constellation that forms the stern of the ship Argonavus, the vessel of Jason and the Argonauts. The Wishing Well lies at the part of Carina closest to Centaurus. The wishing well is described as a multi-hued group of stars that appear to glitter like coins at the bottom of a cosmic wishing well. It's about 1,300 light-years away, but it's around 300 million years old. It contains around 400 stars, many of which are stunning binary stars that were first observed by the astronomer John Herschel in the 1830s. But for now, next time you turn your telescope or eyes to the sky, let us celebrate the rich history of scientific endeavour, exploration and wonder that has brought us the ability to see further into our universe than ever before.